Again, this being the second Sunday in Christmas in the church worldwide, it is what we call Epiphany Sunday, leading up to the actual day of Epiphany, which is the 12th day of Christmas. Again, as I mentioned, that'll be Wednesday of this week. And so we focus on the story in the Gospel of Matthew um, about the wise men from the East who travel afar following a star hearing and understanding, even though they are not Jewish, they are not at the time considered part of God's people, uh, they have a different religion, a different way of living life, a different way of believing, yet they see the star and sense that something momentous in the universe has happened and they follow that star until it comes to rest over the city of Bethlehem. Our first reading this morning is the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament foundation for part of the story, which is a troubling part of the story, an important component in the way Matthew tells the story of the birth of Christ, is the sense of danger that lurks and is per that permeates the whole scene and the vulnerability of the Christ child who is to be born. Uh, underlying that is a, the old sense of mourning and danger that uh, has always been present throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, and this morning we'll be reading for our first reading from the 31st chapter of the prophet Jeremiah. Listen now to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and to the church today. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That old prophetic text, which was first raised centuries and centuries before the life of Christ, uh, spoke of Rachel mourning the death of her own child, which then becomes uh, appropriate for the prophet Jeremiah during the time of exile, speaking to a heartbroken nation and people who had lost everything, including their precious holy city of Jerusalem and were now in captivity, wondering if there was any future for them anymore. And that word which recognizes the truth of their mourning and their devastating loss at the same time communicates a word of hope as well. And now we'll read selected verses from the very familiar story of Matthew's, from Matthew's gospel, the second chapter about the wise men interacting with King Herod as this duplicitous, uh, troubled king hears that another king is to be born from these wise men and from his advisors and tries to trick these travelers from, from the east into divulging the whereabouts of this child, uh, supposedly so he too can worship him, but really so that King Herod can have Jesus killed and to protect his, his own power. So listen now as we read the story from Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, selected verses. 
Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay the child homage. When they heard the king, the wise men set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy on entering the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to King Herod, the wise men left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee now to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, because Herod is about to search for your child to destroy him. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. When King Herod himself died, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he instead went away to the district of Galilee, and there Joseph made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts today, illuminated by the light of the world which has come in Christ, be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. privilege to gather together to worship on a communion Sunday, a Sunday in which as a church family, as a family of faith, visitors and friends and members, we gather as a table as one people with all the differences and hurts, all the unfamiliarities, all the two familiarities, all that faded away, all those walls broken down by the love of God in Christ, uh, and to turn our hearts to this great uh, and famous story. You know, once again, uh, because of the recent spread of the coronavirus and because uh, our oldest child, William, is home now from college, it seems my family and probably yours as well, we're back doing what we were doing in the early part of the uh, pandemic in that sort of middle of calendar year 2020. We're home, we're not going anywhere, and we're watching a lot of television. And one of our uh, family 
favorite things to do uh, is to binge watch uh, shows on different uh, streaming platforms. One of our latest uh, binges is the show Yellowstone. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch that. Uh, it's incredibly popular, if not well-received by critics. I don't understand that. Really, uh, really excellent acting. Kevin Costner is the star, but many other people are really excellent in it. Uh, you can't really turn it off once you get started on it. Yellowstone is a melodrama about a wealthy family on the big, beautiful ranch in today's Montana. A family that's trying to protect its land and its way of life against corporate greed and the inevitable tide of progress. And at times, this family has to descend to the levels of manipulation and even violence in order to do that, to protect what is its own. There's lots of beautiful scenery in Yellowstone. There is a consistent thread of a theme, a heartfelt uh, homage to the cowboy way of life, which is really moving. Uh, uh, and of course, lots of drama and melodrama. People face great challenges and great enemies as they're trying to live their lives and raise their families and to love one another. And of course, sometimes, as in all good dramas and melodramas, the greatest enemy they face is themselves. There's a repeated phrase throughout uh, all four seasons of Yellowstone, which goes something like this. The different characters at different moments say it to each other. The phrase is, whenever something good is trying to happen, there's always something bad trying to stop it. Eternal struggle between good and evil, between light and shadow. Whenever something good is trying to happen, there's always something bad trying to stop it. And of course, I think that's true. We all experience that in our own lives. It's certainly why we watch shows like Yellowstone or so many other shows, uh, because as soon as a character finds or is about to find love or peace or contentment, you sort of know by the end of this episode, or at least the start of the very next episode, someone else's betrayal or greed or insecurities or even the character's own mistakes or imperfections are going to be coming around the corner and mess everything up. And that age-old battle between good and bad, good and evil, that eternal struggle will play out all over again. And we can't turn away as we see how it plays out, what kind of damage it does, how that struggle can be overcome by people's uh, heroism or their commitment to one another or whatever it might be. We gravitate to stories like this, to books and art, or television shows like this, because they're stories we not only like to observe, but we also like to experience them. Maybe not in our own lives as intensely or as frequently in a, such a melodramatic or dramatic way, but these stories really move us and hold on to us because they're our stories as well. It is an eternal human struggle that is depicted on the screen for us, but not just in fiction. Also, when we turn on the news, especially these days, we see that eternal struggle playing out on the world stage over and over again these days. That's, of course, one observation from our text today. We see Jesus being born um, into a particular geopolitical situation, power struggles, the puppet king, Herod the Great, who will die only a couple of years later, 
who has rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, did a lot of amazing things, but also had such great insecurities as so many accomplished people do. Uh, and of course, he's under the thumb of Rome, and there's all kinds of political machinations being played out as Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Uh, and at the same time, this great struggle that we see playing out on the world stage also plays out inside each and every one of us as human beings. I've always appreciated, uh, when it comes to the first point, the world stage on which this drama of the eternal struggle of good and evil plays out, how the Bible is very realistic and honest about the way things really are in life. We tend in the church, I know when I was growing up, the way the story of Jesus, even the story of the gospel generally was presented to me, uh, was tended to be sort of sanitized, so it was always warm and fuzzy. But the truth is, reading scripture tells us in no uncertain terms that the people who wrote it down for us want us to know that they were experiencing real life and that the world in which they lived, and according to Matthew, into which Jesus was born, was not always a perfect, safe, and loving place. Jesus is the light of the world, Matthew and the other gospel writers tell us, who comes into shadow, into storm, into the deepest darkness. I love, as I mentioned with the children, what Eugene Peterson said, Jesus does not just bless us from a distance, sort of beatifically blessing us and then moving on. Peterson said, Jesus moves into the neighborhood to experience the hurricanes and the wildfires and the pandemics and the inflation and the political anger and division that we experience, the same exact challenges. Everything that we live through, he chose to live through as well with us because of love. We try to sentimentalize the, Christ, the, Christ, the Christmas story, and in fact, Luke's story is a little bit more warm and fuzzy with shepherds and angels, choirs of angels singing, but Matthew tells his story in a way that makes it very clear that the birth of Jesus and his survival, after, even after the first few days of his life, were not something that could be taken for granted back in those days. The world into which Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, was born, was full of danger and uncertainty and even death. The vulnerable and the poor, which included his own family, Joseph, and Mary, not even yet married, uh, were exposed to society's judgment, exposed to economic uncertainty, exposed to the elements. They couldn't even find a place to stay. The wise men and Herod uh, have this sort of dance with each other in which Herod secretly, without letting them know, becomes enraged and terrified because of his own insecurity, his own complete terror and fear of losing his own power to some child who is supposedly born a king. That kind of fear that can haunt you is something all of us, if we admit it, are familiar with. We know that we are always so afraid of losing our place, our privilege, the respect of our peers. We're afraid, of course, of losing our jobs, our our security, not just for ourselves, but for those we love. We can relate to that kind of terror, which motivates Herod, which causes this internal struggle within him. 
Matthew presents it pretty sort of uh, on a surface way. Herod is a bad person. He places an order to kill all the children. The character as Matthew presents King Herod is flat. He is a bad, evil character. But the truth is, that kind of decision and the consequences of living with that decision after ordering, as Herod did, the murder of all of these children in the town of Bethlehem under two years old is something that is, eats away at a person, torments a person, both before and after such a decision, just to make sure that one of those children, one little boy, does not grow up and take his kingship away. That drama that plays out within King Herod plays out, as I've mentioned, inside each one of us as well. You can see it throughout Scripture. King Saul, for example, God's first appointed and anointed king over the people of Israel centuries before Jesus began as a faithful uh, servant of the Lord, king over Israel, but even he, the wonderful and wise King Saul, began to uh, sort of be shown and depicted in the Old Testament as someone like so many of us, like a real human being who was tormented by inner struggles, uh, not always at peace inside, eventually is removed from his kingship so that King David could arise and take his own place with his own imperfections and internal struggles. We see that honest depiction of what it means to be a human being and to to be part of this drama playing out every moment of every day, every minute that we live throughout Scripture and, of course, uh, in the world in which we live. I was reading just recently the story of Jimmy Stewart, one of my all-time favorite actors, one of the most famous actors in America that whoever lived about, uh, particularly about the Christmas time movie It's a Wonderful Life, and how in that story, as uh, George Bailey's life disintegrates, you can see Stuart on screen honestly portray that internal struggle as he begins to lose it and go through almost a mental breakdown as he, as he loses all of his dreams. And the story I read about Jimmy Stewart really was interesting and because Stewart volunteered, even though he's a very famous Hollywood actor, to serve in the military during World War II. At first, he was assigned to the entertainment component of the U.S. Army, but Jimmy Stewart wanted to fight for his country, and he became a pilot and flew many dangerous missions over Europe and uh, saw many of his colleagues killed, wounded, people falling out of the sky. And when Jimmy Stewart got back from World War II and resumed his Hollywood career, he, was, he had PTSD, he had post-traumatic stress disorder, and it took him a long time to work through some of the struggles and the pain he had experienced. And you could see that depicted so honestly on screen. And one of the reasons why I think that's such a compelling and powerful Christmas time movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is that Jimmy Stewart, in his way, depicts what it really is like to be a human being and to go through honest struggles, to have that eternal struggle between light and darkness, good and evil, play out and do battle within us. And the question, of course, in the Christmas season, as we begin a new year, is which power are we going to trust? The power of death and destruction and despair and cynicism and judgment or the power of light, even a vulnerable light in the middle of the darkest night, 
even a vulnerable child born in a time of great danger when this great struggle that goes on outside of us and within us is playing out and enraging like it always does, and yet God chose to come and be with us, to move into the neighborhood and love us and shine a light that cannot be overcome by the darkness so that we might trust and overcome whatever challenges, whatever struggles come our way. My prayer is that I and you, this church, and of course all humanity, will continue to trust the light and to trust that this victory has already been won through the life, the birth, the ministry, the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of God's chosen son, Jesus. He has moved into the neighborhood. He'll never let us go. Thanks be to God. Amen.